Alhamdulillahi wa kafa wa salamun ala abadihi alladhi nastafa amma ba'd Fa'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Alimul ghaybi wa shahadatil kabir Al-Muta'al Sadaqallahu al-Azim Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun Wa salamun al-mursaleen Wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa barik wa sallim Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa barik wa sallim Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa barik wa sallim All praise belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for having guided us, for granting us so many bounties For guiding us and we would not have been guided except that He guided us And we send peace and blessings upon Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam And upon his family and his companions and his progeny and all those that followed them in their ways. <clears throat> so we left off last quarter. Uh, we completed Al-Zahir and Al-Batin. Uh, so we'll continue this week, inshallah, this quarter. Inshallah, we should finish, I'm hoping by like mid-February. So maybe in about a month's time. Um, yeah, so as we see, Imam Zali is getting uh, quite a bit, he, he's getting a lot more concise in his explanations. But this week, continuing on with Al-Wali. So Al-Wali, which means the ruler. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said in the Qur'an, لَهُ مُعَقِّبَاتٌ مِّن بَيْنِ يَدَيْهِ وَمِن خَلْفِهِ يَحْفَظُونَهُ مِّن أَمْرِ اللَّهِ That for each individual, there is, there are angels, there, are, there is a guard that protects them in front of them and behind them. By the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُغَيِّرُ مَا بِقَوْمٍ حَتَّى يُغَيِّرُ مَا بِأَنفُسِهِمْ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, indeed, He does not change a nation until they change themselves. وَإِذَا أَرَادَ اللَّهُ بِقَوْمٍ سُوءًا And when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wishes or intends evil to befall a nation, فَلَا مَرَدَّ لَهُ وَمَا لَهُمْ مِن دُونِهِ مِوَالِ When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala intends evil to befall a nation, then there is no, nothing that repels it. Uh, and they do not find other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala any protector. So Wali, now some of the names, they, although they are different, as Imam Ghazali mentioned, uh, each name is different, but some of the names are very similar to names that have passed. So Wali means the one who plans, the one who rules over everything. What it specifically means is one who plans the affairs of the creation and then rules over them. He plans the affairs of the creation. So planning the affairs of the creation or ruling over a people means that, an in, means that somebody has to take charge of something, they have to plan something, they have to take, take charge of it, and they have to govern, right? And so governing involves organization, it involves power, it involves action. So Imam Ghazali says that if, if uh, a government or if governing involves these three things, action, power, and organization, and governing then makes up the concept of a ruler, then we can say that there is nothing and there's no being that is truly a ruler except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Because He is the only one who can plan and then make that exact plan come out to uh, make that exact plan manifest itself. Right? Other people, obviously everybody plans. Every government plans. Every uh, organization plans. But sometimes things don't go according to your plan. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only one who can make everything come according to His plan. And that's exactly what happens. There's no, um, there's no like bug in the system. It's not that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has he's planned something and He's put a program in place and now something unexpected happens. Unexpected 
things are unexpected according to us, but not according to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So somebody might say, uh, you know, but for example, a programmer, they also make a program and then there's a bug. So doesn't that also happen? That doesn't happen with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Only what He has intended comes to fruition. And so Allah Ta'ala is the only one to whom all of these things belong. That firstly, He's the sole planner of everything. And then He implements His plan exactly as it is meant to be. And thirdly, He's the one that protects that plan, protects everything that happens. And He preserves it and perpetuates it. So He plans and He executes. And further, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala knows exactly what is happening at all times. Now, uh, the Mashaykh, they mention that if you take a look at yourself, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from before time, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala planned our lives out. Meaning, not that He dictates exactly what we do, because that would mean that we don't have a free will, but we do have a free will. But what is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what is according to His plan? Exactly when we would be born. Exactly how we would be born. To whom we would be born to. Right? Who our mother would be, who our father would be, where it would be. Then he planned how many breaths an individual would take, how many morsels we would eat. And so he, he knows and he plans and then he writes accordingly. So what has he written? How does all that make sense? We've discussed it a little bit before. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has things written in the Lawhul Mahfud, when he had things written in the uh, uh, tablets, the sacred tablets, it wasn't that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was saying that now, uh, that this person, this is what will happen, Therefore, we are bound, like we don't act because of what was written in the tablet. What was written in the tablet was according to the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in what we would do. So he knew how we would act and what decisions we would make. That is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wrote, had written down in the sacred tablets. So if you think about how all this plan comes, comes to fruition. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced like how, how specific two or three or however many, an infinite number of variables had to come together exactly how they, exactly the way they did in order for some event to take place, right? A simple running into somebody. Think about, for example, if we just take that day into account, how much of, right? Like I ran into one of you outside, right? How much of our day had to go exactly the way it did for us to run into each other outside, right? If we didn't run into each other outside, I would have gone to some other building. We would have been delayed another... 15 minutes, right? <laughs> so similarly, so this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala plans. Now, it's interesting, we were studying, you know, reading through the seerah of Rasulullah and when you get to the rebuilding of the Kaaba, so this is prior to his prophethood being uh, manifest. He's about 35 years old and the Quraysh decide to rebuild the Kaaba. And so, uh, they don't know if they should do it or not. Did they have the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or not? Now, despite they were immersed in the idol worship, but they still had that concept of one supreme being above all the other deities that they had. And they knew the Kaaba is his house. So can we, are we going to be allowed to rebuild this thing? So when they went to do it, what did they find? There was a snake. Every day, this snake would come out in front of the Kaaba. And so they took that as a sign that, like, I can't, we can't do this. And then a bird eventually came after several days and it picked up the snake and it flew off with it. So now they took it as a sign of, okay, now we have the permission of Allah to rebuild the Kaaba because it was going to entail them breaking it down and then rebuilding it, not simply adding to it. So as they're building, what happens? Now, those of you that are familiar with the Sira, they were a people that were entrenched in tribal warfare. So what took place? As they're rebuilding the Kaaba, they get to 
they get to the place that they want to put the black stone. And because the black stone is an honored thing, they're all now fighting over who gets to place the black stone. Which individual, but more importantly, which tribe? Because that would be honor for that tribe. So despite having a pact against oppression and against, you know, and trying to change their ways and move away from these things, they almost broke out into their tribal warfare again. So they decided what? They decided that, okay, we'll sleep and the next morning, whoever is the first person to walk in to the masjid area, that individual will decide who gets to place the black stone, right? So everyone's hoping that it's somebody from their own tribe because they're going to they're gonna decide, you know, rule in favor of their own tribe. So who walks in? The Prophet ﷺ walks in. And everyone's happy because they, knew, they know that he is fair, right? And he is just. And so he gives a decision that the tribes will come together, they'll put the black stone on a cloth, and the cloth will be, uh, they'll all lift the cloth together, and then he will, since they were all uh, pleased with his decision and him being the one to make the decision, that he would be the one to actually place the black stone in its corner, in its place. So if we think about what was the reason for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bring the snake out in front of the Kaaba for so many days. When he was going to allow them, when he was going to send a, a bird to take the snake away and allow them to build this Kaaba out anyway, to rebuild it. What was the need for that? Perhaps, Allah alam, I haven't read this mentioned anywhere, but perhaps it's because he wanted the Prophet to be the one that would come in and settle that dispute and give him the honor of placing the black stone. And he saw Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala started bringing signs of leadership towards the Prophet and bringing his prestige up and honor up in the sight of everyone so that when he comes out with his prophethood, with revelation, it would give them more reason to follow him. Right? Now, Allah Allah, maybe if the snake hadn't been there, maybe the Prophet wouldn't have been the first one to walk in. Allah Allah. So, like these things, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala plans and so much of our life, we, don't, we just have to take heed and take note of what it is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the variables He brings into place for things to happen exactly as they needed to happen. Um, then the ulama mentioned that when you act, so regarding the sacred tablets and what, what's written, that you act, we act according to the plan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? So what He has intended to befall individuals, the nation, whatever is going to come up, all, all that our acting, what it is, is that's simply our, uh, us uh, opening our eyes to the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and being content with it. Or closing our eyes to the will of Allah and then resenting. So this is in terms of when difficulties befall us. We shouldn't get angry with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and question that why did He do this to me? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had a reason as for why it would come to pass. It is the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala intended. We have to recognize that it's a test for us. He's the one that planned it. Now we have to act according to the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would be pleased. Act in, a, in the way that pleased Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then that will allow us to live a life that is more content. Live a life that, is, that has less resentment. Right? Most people that end up turning away, many people end up turning away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala completely after having believed. Usually it's because of anger. They're usually not content with what happens and then in their sort of rebellion to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they end up turning away because they think that harms Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If I don't worship Him, then it will be, uh, it's going to make things, it's going to change something to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He'll be affected by it. Whereas, right, whereas that's not the case. Allah ta'ala doesn't need our worship. And that's typically when you, I mean this is just an observation, right? This is not like a hard and fast rule, but an observation. You speak to many atheists 
who had believed once, or maybe they hadn't thought about it, but now they adamantly don't believe. Usually there's something that's happened in their life that really hurt them, that they felt some loss, right? Maybe the death of a child, for example, something that might have been extremely difficult. And so that anger is what made them turn away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It doesn't necessarily, sometimes they think that they don't believe, right? But really it's just the anger coming out. Then Imam Ghazali, he goes on to the name Al-Muta'ali. So Al-Muta'ali is the exalted one. And uh, it's interesting, Imam Ghazali actually says that this is the same meaning as Al-Ali. Except it's, more, uh, it's a more exaggerated form. So Al-Ali was what? Does anybody know? Remember? Ali, you know what your name means? <laughs> you know what your name means? <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> Ali means high, the lofty one, right? The lofty one. So, <clears throat> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, one of his names is Al Ali, and his name is also Al Muta'ali. So, Ali is the lofty one, the raised one, Muta'ali is the exalted. So, Imam Ghazali, rahimullah, he says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this name has the same meaning as Al Ali, except it is more exaggerated. It's a, it's a more extreme meaning of the, of, the, of the word Ali. So what can we understand from it? That there is truly, there's no end to our understanding how lofty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. However, we can't be deceived into thinking that it means Allah ta'ala himself is more elevated. That he is, at first you might think that, well this means that Allah ta'ala continuously is, is being elevated. Continuously his position and rank is increasing. But that's not, that's not accurate. Because if we agree, if we agree that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is continuously being raised in his status of loftiness, that means that currently he is deficient. And therefore he needs to have an increase. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a being that there is no increase and there is no decrease. He is absolutely perfect in every way. Right? So he is not continuously increasing. He has, he has the perfection of loftiness. But... He is muta'ali in the sense that there's no, end to how, there's no end to our understanding of how lofty He can be. Always there's going to be different ways that Allah Ta'ala's loftiness is manifest to us. And in our own mind, it might be like we might realize that, wow, I thought He was this elevated, but actually He's this elevated. Right? So we can understand that uh, if, we, if we think about an individual that we might respect. Right? We might respect somebody highly, but then all of a sudden something happens and we respect them even more. And we already have so much respect for them, but then we continuously respect them even more. So, again, not a perfect example, but similar to that, right? The person already had that. He already had that characteristic in him to, uh, uh, to have of honor and being respected. But it's just a person's understanding, right? Of how honored this person, how honorable this person is. And also, what does it mean? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Alimul ghaybi wa shahada, that he is the uh, omniscient, he is the knower of everything that is hidden and everything that is open. Al-Kabir, he is the great Al-Muta'ali. So this is where it comes in the Quran, Surah, Surah Ra'ad, that he is the most exalted one. So you know when we say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is transcendent above whatever, above having limbs, above having a body, transcendent above so many different things. This is one of the names, this is, possible, this is the name that we get this understanding from, Muta'al. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is transcendent above His creation. Any questions about that? Uh, so the next name was Al-Bar, the doer of good. 
So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al-bar. He is the doer of good, meaning he is the absolute doer of good. He is the beneficent one, right? Muhsin, Imam Ghazali used the word muhsin, the excellent one, the one who does excellence. And al-bar specifically, this word in and of itself, it has the same root as bir. Bar and bir. Bir is piety, taqwa. Uh, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is bar, but bar is inclusive of every attribute of goodness and benevolence. Every attribute of goodness and benevolence, the name bar includes, or that word is inclusive of all the different meanings that are entailed from those uh, ideas. And so we have to understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is bar. That means that all good also comes from Him. Now this doesn't mean that bad things don't come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for He has created good and He has created evil. Right? It's not that He created good and then bad things happen and so evil gets the upper hand over him sometimes. No, Allah Ta'ala created that. Nothing gets the upper hand on, over Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he has created the good, and he has created the bad, and the bad is a test for us. And he has created the good. He is al-bar, so he loves goodness for his servants. He loves comfort and he loves ease for his servants. Right? But there is trials and there's tests and there's tribulations in our path. The world is a thorny place. The path to Jannah is a thorny path. It's a difficult path. Right? Jannah is surrounded with difficulties. And Jahannam is surrounded with our shahwat, our desires. So if we are somebody who constantly fulfills our desires, that is the path to Jahannam. Right? Especially when it's, uh, particularly I guess, when it's things that are uh, in the disobedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we have to get, come to a level where our desires are in line with the obedience and the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if we can bring ourselves to that level, then, you, then you've got it made. Then you've accomplished something in this life. Then you're basically set, right? You still have to be on guard of yourself, but uh, that is a goal to have and that it's a very lofty goal and it's a very high status. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves comfort and He loves good and He loves ease. And we have to understand that also a person only does good because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens that way up for him. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us opportunities to do good. It's always there. It's just a matter of do we take it or not? Do we take that opportunity? You know, and part of the love that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has for a person, the sign of Allah ta'ala's love for a person, is that they, uh, he, he allows goodness to happen at their hands. He allows them to be involved in works of goodness. Right? He allows them to be in situations where they are able to benefit, bring benefit to the people. In reality, we don't bring any benefit to anyone. But it's Allah Ta'ala using us to bring benefit to people. And that's something that we have to understand. This is a point of, of humility, right? And this is where, if we remember that point, then that will stop us in going towards the path of arrogance and the, and the path of pride, right? And the path of like Fir'aun and these other oppressors and tyrants that have always come throughout the, throughout the ages. Now it's interesting that the Mashaykh, they all, when they speak about this name Al-Bar, they constantly mention being good to one's parents. They say that for an individual, this applies in particular to his parents, to their parents, to their teachers, and to their elders. These are people who have some of the most right over us, right? And teachers, yeah, generally, okay, teachers of the sacred sciences, but even teachers of the secular sciences, they're still teaching us, right? And the secular sciences are also important to learn. So even they have a right over us. I remember when I was a kid one time, I said, oh, my stupid teacher. I got in so much trouble from my parents, and I was like, what? I mean... It's not like they're teaching Islam or something, right? It doesn't matter, right? <laughs> they're still your teacher. They're still giving you something that will allow you to benefit in this world. 
So they still have a right over you. But it's just interesting that this, is, this name is constantly mentioned with being good to your parents. So um, there's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that also says to the effect that upholding, telling the truth will lead you to bir. So we mentioned what? Bar is goodness, the doer of good, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says al-bar, and bir is piety and taqwa. So the Prophet ﷺ said that if you uphold telling the truth, it will lead you towards bir. And by extension, then we can understand that if you are led towards bir, piety, and taqwa, then you can be led towards al-bar, who is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And the share we can take from that is to do good ourselves. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said in Surah Al-Imran, لَن تَنَالُوا الْبِرَّ حَتَّى تُنْفِقُوا مِمَّا يُحِبُّونَ وَمَا تُنْفِقُوا مِنْ شَيْءٍ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ بِهِ عَلِيمٌ That you will not achieve bir, you will not achieve piety and taqwa until you spend from that which you love. So that money and that wealth that you have, you will not achieve goodness, you will not achieve piety until you spend from that which you love. And there is nothing, uh, uh, and whatever a person spends of good, Anything that you spend in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that entails any type of goodness. This includes just spending on your family. This includes just like buying groceries for your family. Even that's a sadaqah, right? So when we start making our own money and we start buying stuff, paying our bills, we just make the intention of sadaqah and then what happens? You give sadaqah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you 10 times its amount, right? So everything that we spend for our family, any, in any goodness, make the intention of sadaqah. And that's a way to increase our wealth as well. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that وَمَا تُنْفِقُوا مِنْ شَيْءٍ That you do, whatever you spend of goodness, whatever you spend in the way of Allah, فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ بِهِ عَلِيمٌ Then indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is omniscient of it. He's well aware of it. Full, has full knowledge of it. Another understanding of, uh, uh, another word for zamzam is al-barr. Sorry, is uh, barra. It's called barra because of its abundant goodness. So we can understand al-barr is the doer of good, the doer of abundant good. And that was one of the names when uh, Abdul Muttalib, the Prophet's grandfather, when he started having dreams about Zamzam, because Zamzam was buried, they had forgotten about it. He started having dreams about Zamzam. But he wasn't told to go find Zamzam at first. It was over several nights and different words, names were used. But in one of the dreams, he was told, go and look for, uh, go and look for barra. Go and look for this abundant goodness. And you can see what benefit Zamzam provided. Right? It, was the, it was the provision for Hajra and, and Ismail salam, And from that you have the entire of Mac, entirety of Makkah come out from it. Where it was nothing before. Then we have to understand that even in punishing, even when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala punishes, that quality of bar is there. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't exceed in His punishment the sin that was committed. Whatever punishment He gives, it is, it is justified and it does not exceed the, the, the consequence, it does not in, it, uh, exceed the crime that was committed. Whereas in our own justice system, law, you know, system of laws within this country, or how we are to one another, somebody does something bad to us, we might try to do something bad to them. Typically a person, what do they do? You just take, look, at, look at two people when they're like insulting each other. What happens, right? I don't know if this happens with the sisters. With the guys, it happens all the time and they just like joke about it and stuff, but then someone actually takes offense. But what happens? One person says something bad, the other person, they try and respond with something that's even worse. That'll make people laugh even more, right? So we are not just, we are not just in our dealings with one another. We exceed the bounds, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not exceed the bounds. And then when, he, when somebody does good, how does Allah ta'ala reward? He gives 10 times the amount. So he gives back even more good and reward 
than the amount that should be due to us. Uh, now, Imam Uzali, he brings a, a narration where he said that Musa salam, was once speaking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he heard a man, or he heard an individual standing at the leg of the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that this person is standing at the foot of your throne. What is it that they did to earn this place? This is such a great status for someone to have. What did they do? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responded saying uh, that this individual was never envious of any of my servants for what I gave to them and they were always good to their parents. So again, that goodness to parents being brought, right? But also not to be envious of anyone else because when we are envious of someone else, what does that mean? Envy is that we wish we, we, we see something that someone has and we wish it for ourselves and we wish that they don't have it. Not only do we want it for ourselves, but envy, envy and jealousy is to wish that somebody does not have the good that they have. Right? So a lot of times people don't even care if they have it themselves. They'd like it themselves, but it doesn't make a difference. They just want that that person doesn't have that, that goodness, that quality, right? that good thing. In another hadith, Rasulullah said to the effect that someone who looks upon the faces of his parents in anger, even if he serves them loyally, has not cared for them. Neither have I anything to do with these kinds of people, nor do they have anything to do with me. So he said, even if you serve your parents loyally, but you look at them with anger, I've got nothing to do with you and you have nothing to do with me. And, um, uh, and they have not cared for their parents. So just to look at them with anger, despite physically serving them, means that you have not given your parents their due right. And then other places in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings, He says, uh, In speaking about Isa al-Islam, in Surah Maryam, He says, that Isa al-Islam was good to his parents and he was not oppressive nor disobedient. Right? Also about Yahya al-Islam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says something similar. So again, this concept of bar, of having this bar, this goodness to parents, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala constantly addresses this in the Qur'an. Imam Ghazali, rahimullah, then he moves on to At-Tawwab. So, we don't have to go into a great amount of detail because we covered this before with Ghafoor and Ghafir and Ghaffar. Um, because it's related to that, but at-tawwab, at-tawwab means the ever-relenting. So, you know, like we say, make tawbah, repent. So at-tawwab is the one who is relenting, the one who accepts that repentance. The ever-relenting. And there's a difference between somebody just accepting your repentance, somebody accepting um, you asking forgiveness once or twice, and there's a difference, there's a difference between that and constantly accepting uh, your repentance constantly forgiving you for the wrongs that, you, that we have done for the same wrongs that we have done over and over and over again and that is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does for he says in Surah Al-Baqarah uh, that except those who tabu who they repent and they rectify their deeds and they confess their deeds to Allah, their sins to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala فَأُولَٰئِكَ أَتُوبُ عَلَيْهِمْ Then, regarding those people, I accept their repentance. فَأَنَا التَّوَّابُ الرَّحِيمُ That I am the most, the most relenting and the most merciful. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He constantly facilitates the causes of repentance by showing His signs. This is what the ulama have mentioned, that a person will do something wrong and they might repent. Or they might do something wrong and not repent for some time. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, 
is constantly bringing out his signs. One of the Mashaikh, they said that uh, in everything that happens in your life, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, make, is making that a sign to point towards him. Everything that happens in your life is a sign pointing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when we do something wrong, Allah Ta'ala is facilitating the causes of repentance as well. So signs uh, uh, include things that show the awe of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, that bring us in awe and humility in front of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Things that would deter us from doing the wrongs that we've done. Instructing us through the Quran and Hadith of the, the dangers that are involved if we don't act righteously. Fear of punishment. All of these things are important. Every one of these things is important for us in order to find our way back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in order for us to repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sometimes we get caught up... Now, no doubt that there are many people who, when teaching about Islam, only speak about the punishments and the consequences. And that is needed to speak about those things, but it shouldn't be the only thing, right? We should speak about the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more so. And in reality, both things are mentioned in the Qur'an, because there, people have different natures, right? There's different, everyone has different, uh, has different natures, have different things that will inspire them. Some people, the fear of punishment is what will keep them from doing bad. Some people, the hope and the reward is what will keep them from doing good, is what will make them do good, right? So everyone has, and sometimes the same person, a different thing at a different time will affect us in a different way. So we have to have a balance when we are speaking to people, when we are giving da'wah, when we are speaking particular to Muslims and whatnot about uh, the punishments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and whatnot. But we have to recognize that all these things are there. And this is something that many other people, any other religions are losing, that they're not doing as much. There was uh, one of the shiuch who used to be in Seattle. He actually, he mentioned once that um, when he was at, at UW, then there was a man from, from the church. I don't remember which church exactly, which like, um, which, uh, what's it called? denomination of Christianity, but there was a man from the church who was, who would always come around to the MSA stuff. He would come to the Islamic house for Juma. He would stand in Salah with them. So the Sheikh, he wasn't, I mean, he was a student at the time, right? He was, what's going on? I mentioned this before. Okay. You guys know who I, the Sheikh? Oh, you sure? This is a long time ago. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, this was, this, was, this was probably like, to be honest, this was probably about 15 or more years ago. Right. This is probably over 15 years ago. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, um, anyway, this person would constantly come, right, to all these different uh, programs, to the, the, you know, to Juma and stuff. So my friend told him, he said, you know, I just want you to know, you're coming to a salah, you're standing in our salah, and we're reciting like, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدْ Right? Allah Ta'ala is one. Like, this goes directly against your belief. I don't want you to be offended if you find out later. He's like, oh, no problem, don't worry. So one time there was a visiting sheikh, and uh, my friend told him, he said, why don't we go to, uh, why don't you come to the program, right? So they went to the masjid, I don't know, it was Bellevue Masjid or where it was. He said, why don't you come to the program? And so, you know, the sheikh did a typical talk that you might hear in the masjid, right? That, you know, do such and such things and Allah Ta'ala will be pleased and you will have reward and, you know, if we don't act accordingly then there's punishment and so on and so forth. Afterwards, the guy was like shocked and, but he was ecstatic. He's like, you guys actually talk about that in your masjid? He said, yeah, what do you mean? Like, this is the haq, this is the Quran. Like, Allah Ta'ala speaks about, you know, reward and punishment. And the guy was like, you know, in our seminaries they actually teach us not to speak about the punishments. 
we're not allowed, they tell us not to. And if we do, people get upset and they won't come back to their church, right? Now, although we should, we shouldn't get in the habit of only speaking about the punishment and the bad because that brings despair, right? Um, we should speak more about the reward, more about the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than is done. But both are important because if we don't have the balance and the balance is what's important, if we don't have the balance, then what happens? We become people that think we are absolved of everything. That no matter what bad we do, well, there's no consequences for it at all. And we don't want to fall into that. And that is the direction that much of the ummah is heading into now. And even that is, you know, the Prophet said that my ummah will fall into every, every uh, difficulty, every trial and tribulation that befell the past nations. My ummah will fall, through those, fall into those as well. To the extent that if one was to go down a snake hole, if the past nation went down a snake hole, my ummah will also go down that. Right? And in one narration that if they were to fornicate with their mothers, my nation will also do that. Right? So, you know, it's a proof of, that, of the, the truth of the Prophet ﷺ. But going back to the point, all of these things are important in bringing us back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that we have repentance. Now, some of the mashayikh, they mention regarding this, they say that, look, there are some hearts that um, they light with a single spark. They have that inspiration, a single spark, and the heart lights up. There are others that are cold as stone, and you can put heaps of flame on them, nothing will happen. And then there's some that are like iron. You put them in some flame, they melt, they soften, but then they turn back to iron very quickly after that. So we have to be constantly and frequently reminded. We shouldn't think, well, I already know this thing, right? Now, we, sh- we, have, to re- we have to recognize, we have to be humble enough to accept constant reminder, even if we've learned something, we should continue going to programs because we need the reminder. Sometimes we forget, right? I mean, there's, there's books that I've read like four or five times and you still learn something every time you, learn it, you, you read it, right? And it's needed. Why? Because our hearts need reminders. Our hearts need reminders. And the Mashaykh mentioned that when we want to leave sin, right, there's a few steps that are entailed. We cannot simply cut the tree of sin, but we have to try and uproot that tree of sin. We have to try and uproot that tree of sin. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is what He wants. He wants not only us to leave it outwardly, but He wants the inner purification to happen, inward cleansing to, be ha- to happen. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said that there are those people that He will multiply, He will multiply their punishment on the day of judgment, and He will throw them in the fire uh, forever. إِلَّا مَنْ تَابَ وَآمَنَ وَعَمِلَ صَالِحًا Except for the one who repents and who believes and who does righteous deeds فَأُولَٰئِكَ يُبَدِّلُ اللَّهُ سَيِّئَاتِهِمْ حَسَنَاتٍ That those are the ones that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will change their sins for good deeds. He will make a, he'll just make a flip. He'll turn it, he'll transform it into good deeds. وَكَانَ اللَّهُ غَفُورًا رَحِيمًا And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is most forgiving, most merciful.